Okay, we're recording. Very nice. Hello, people. Welcome to the first episode of the Second Shift Podcasts. Yeah, man, just uh, two working people having fun in the Second Shift. Yes, and, and another another reason that we call it the Second Shift is our first podcast that we did in college was called Grab Some Buds and Chill. So that's the first volume of our podcast series. You can't find you know, it anywhere. We're evolving, you know. <laughs> Deep in the archives, but you know, maybe, maybe they'll be released. I need to see if I still have the files. That's true. You know, it's funny. I was on Twitter the other day, deep into my old, just like who I follow and stuff. Cause I used to, I had read it and I was like, uh, I need a break from this. Cause it's really time, time, uh, time encompassing for me. Like mm-hmm. I really was on there all the time. And I was like, all right, I'll go on Twitter just to see like what, what's up. I want to see what's trending just to, just to stay up to date. And I saw smack radio Twitter. 215 deep cut deep because that was that was the early days of LaSalle when they were just revamping their radio broadcast booth yeah you guys were like one of the pioneers for it I know and I never really got off the ground (laughs) no but hey it's still there yeah I mean I think I it was three tweets one was just asking it was actually right around the time that Trump and Hillary were Gonna, I think it was the 2016 election, actually. Oh, man. And so we did a poll, like, what do you want us to talk about? Food, Trump-Hillary, a couple other things. And it was, like, overarchingly Trump-Hillary. <laughs> but we only had, like, five followers, so not really a great sample size. I'm, I'm, so. I'm sure I was one of those followers. Yeah, I was a pretty you know, dedicated follower. Absolutely. Anyway, um, so the purpose of this podcast is we're kind of we're kind of just feeling it out at first. We, wanna, we don't really have necessarily a structure. But today, what we're going to be talking about is a lot of the the nuances of the 1992 Glenn Gary Glenn Ross film, um, the screenplay and play written by David Mamet. Mamet, I'm not exactly sure how to I pronounce. I thought Mamet. Is it either Mamet or Mamet? You know, it could be French. I don't know. Let's go Mamet. It sounds fancy. Sound yeah, Mamet. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, directed by uh, what's his name? Dave. I think he said it was Dave Foley. Does that sound right? James Foley, sorry. James yeah. Foley. And uh, it stars a completely stacked cast. And so what we're trying to do today is kind of deep dive into a lot of the nuances of these characters and, um, you know, really compare their desperation and their attempts to make a sale and hit their mark. So, Before we get into this, I feel like at, at least you and I, we're, we're pretty good with this because we're both business majors. And we both have that sales mentality, always always trying to be closing, you know? Yep. So I feel like we, we can relate to some of these people. Obviously not in every way, but yeah. we, we know what it's like. Yeah, and even for someone that's not in business, it's just, just think about it in terms of like, you know, you make a decision and all the decisions that follow that decision are going to lead to you either eating that night or not. The cause Paying of your effect. mortgage or not. You know, like it, mm-hmm. I was in a sales environment in my previous job that was absolutely cutthroat and, um, in business it's competition, but in sales, it's literally just like if the, if the guy next to you is making a big sale and you are having a horrible month, you are so far down in the dumps and, and your self-esteem is just in the gutter. So, and it, it really shows in this movie because it's a 1992 movie, but the play was written in 84 and if you think about the time period of 1984, that's prime Ronald Reagan capitalist society. And so mm-hmm. what they were doing at that point is it, it's, like I said, very cutthroat sales environment. I mean, if you've ever seen the first 20 minutes of Wolf of Wall Street, you know, they're talking about, you know, the customer is not right. They don't get the customer does not win. If, if you win, you win. If you basically take the customer and, um, Kind of, it's not for lack of a better term, feed them a load of shit, and at the end of the day, if you make out, you're in good shape. And so it's just this this overarching capitalist mentality of those years. Mm-hmm. So we'll definitely take a deep dive into that. Yeah, definitely. So, like you said before, we both honestly felt that the overwhelming theme just in this movie is the idea of desperation in a salesman. You see in really each one of the different characters just how they handle the desperation because they're in a failing real estate office. You got the first guy, Blake, who's played by Alec Baldwin. 
coming in, giving them a load of shit right in the beginning, saying, hey, you make sales or you're fired. So it, it immediately puts them in an ultimatum, which just raises the anxiety level. Mm-hmm. And you just see how each person handles it. Some better than others, some fold, and some resort to darker consequences. And I feel like this movie really encompasses every single aspect of how people really handle it you know absolutely absolutely and it's it's just like a like i said this this cutthroat mentality is is if you're the guy next to you next to you is killing it and in this movie ricky roma is at the at the top of the list and he's getting rewarded with better leads and so it's it's kind of like this mentality in business where you're rewarding the individuals who are doing the best and the ones that are at the mm-hmm. bottom, you're just feeding them shit. They're getting the worst leads. They're staying at that bottom. So reinforcing those capitalists' um, ideologies, where reward the ones that are succeeding, and then the ones in the bottom, tough shit. You know what I mean? So it just mm-hmm. just feeds that anxiety. Like like um, Shelly Shelly Levine, he's at the absolute bottom. He's made no sales in this month, and nope. you you just see how sunken his his demeanor is like the, the scene opens up and he's on the phone and he's he's talking like us he's like a snail like he's in a shell and he's you know he gets up to the office and and uh you know the big vp alec baldwin's in there just spewing this we'll get to this in a little bit but it's just spewing this speech and uh calls him out and uh, you can just see how he's like not confident in anything he's not even confident in the way that he's pouring his coffee so it it just hits it just keeps hitting them and hitting them like they're in the dumps and the ones that are at the bottom you know they're not getting fed anything that would let them get to the top and usually the people in the bottom too always have other issues especially for shelly there was the one part where he's getting the calls from the hospital where he needs the money for his daughter Mm -hmm. and if you have people just constantly harping down well first of all i don't know if his daughter is actually sick could be a story because i feel like that that's just just a go to lie if someone owes someone else money. Right. But that's neither here nor there. He owes people money, so he's desperate, desperate for money. He's like you said, bottom of the bottom, and there's no way out of that barrel. Right, and I I agree. I I want to believe that his daughter's sick or in, has had an injury, um, and he talks to the doctor on the phone. So I I do believe that there was actually something there. But the way that his character is is displayed, it's it's kind of a con man, you know. Mm-hmm. We can get into this deeper later about the sales tech, techniques and strategies. But the way that he does it is he just wears the person down to the point where, um, in order to shut them up, they'll sign, and that's yeah, that's not, you know, effective overall. But he's they're all schemers in, in their own little ways, and you kind of have to be if you're if you're fed, um, like a bottom feeder, you know. Mm-hmm. You have to crawl feel like, and scratch your way to the top. I feel like he's like the perfect embodiment of the quote, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Yeah. He's the one that just annoys and pesters them and just tries to schmooze them so much to where they just say yes just to get him away. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay. Yeah. Do you want to get into um, the details of each individual character? Because we're, we're, I guess we could start with, with Levine because we're, we're kind of yeah. already on him. Uh, here, I'll start with it. So, Shelley the Machine Levine. He's played by Jack Lemmon. So, from what I kind of gathered, he was almost like the top salesman who's out of his prime. He brings up the past, oh, I was I was top salesman eight months out of the year for three years in a row. So, he, he's like holding on to that former recognition that he used to have. But now that he's getting older, times are kind of changing. It almost kind of seems like he's stuck in his old ways and not really evolving with the time. Mm-hmm. And being in a real sales-heavy job where commission is key, he's really feeling it. So you can kind of tell that he's really scrambling for money. I mean, any sale he does, he really tries to trick people into getting the sale with false hopes, various outlandish stories, and just an odd level of like wavering confidence. Mm-hmm. He always had those parts where he just goes, "Oh hey Gloria, uh, book me a first class ticket to Hawaii." Yeah, I love that. <laughs> like he, he just wanted to put on that story, but when we get into Ricky Roma, who is a better storyteller, 
But Shelley, he just wasn't really able to hold up to it. He pestered. Mm. And, yeah, I mean, we'll talk about it in the end about the actual synopsis of the story, but he's one of those people who, were, like we were saying, bottom of the bottom, and he, he needed a way to get money. Right. So he, he gets this final sale that he's so happy about, sells it to crazy people, so that's a dud. Mm-hmm. And then he turns out to be one of the perpetrators for the main point of the movie. Right. So it, you really see how low someone can really get. Yeah, and I think it's also an interesting parallel to see, like, you know, what someone will do, first of all, and how close that decision is to being a criminal. Because, like, he, you know, in his daily life, the scheme that he's playing is is conning people, you know. Mm-hmm. The whole call my secretary and get the flight. The whole I'm going to talk you down until you just want to shut me up by signing this piece of paper and getting me out of your house. It's, it's mm-hmm. a con because what they were selling is way overpriced land um which could have been in swamps in florida it could have been in the complete desert in arizona Mm -hmm. um they didn't go into much detail but it just the way that they were pushing it and um really trying to hook the customer as much as possible without exactly exactly explaining what it was you know it's all Mm -hmm. a con um and then when he goes when he when you when you reveal that he was actually the one that broke into the office it it it's a shock but it makes sense because um he's the most vulnerable he would have been the most accepting of that because he hated williamson he hated his job he 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 loved being a salesman but he hated the way that he was treated and um you know it was just it was such a blurred line between you know being a con man for sale for selling and then just going right to a uh heinous crime like technically Mm -hmm. that's grand larceny because you know they're spelling if you're selling sorry if you're if you're stealing over a thousand dollars worth of merch that's grand larceny, right? That's what he would be getting, or is it just bur- burglary? Well, I guess it would be grand larceny. I mean, I don't, I don't really know the '90s laws too well and what they would do. But yeah. all I know is he was an old white guy, so he'd probably get treated pretty lightly. That's probably true. Yeah, and if he if he had talked about his desperation, um, mm-hmm. trying to feed his daughter, it's it's kind of like or not feed his daughter. It's save his daughter or, or help her in the hospital it's kind of like the yeah. stealing the bread for the sick family type of type of mm-hmm. situation right you're doing it for a good cause it's immoral in the in this in the scent in that spot but then when you go um, a little bit deeper you see that they're actually doing it for a good cause so you know mm-hmm. he probably would have gotten off with something so probably community service yeah absolutely who's next well since we're on the whole topic of the robbery, let's go with uh, the other accomplice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for him, his name is David Moss, played by Ed Harris. Love Ed Harris. So David Moss, his character, he, he kind of complained all the time. He he was honestly desperate for power, real bitter, and he was tired of feeling like he was not important and had no power. It, it almost seemed like he wanted more recognition than he was due, and he wanted just praise just to kind of fuel his ego. He thinks he should be a man on the top. He's, he's a solid salesman, but he I, I feel like he doesn't feel heard. He doesn't feel respected. So he comes up with the plan to rob the leads after Roma, the top guy, gets all the good leads. Well, the Glengarry leads. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about the details, but... Roma gets all the Glengarry leads, and no one else does until they can actually close sales. So, Ed's like, well, fuck that. I'm just going to steal the leads. At first, he tried to get George, who's played by Alan Arkin, tried to get him in because he's a real, real quiet, reserved guy, and just kind of goes at the beat of his own drum, but you can kind of tell that being in sales is not where he really should be. Right. It, it almost seemed like... He understood that he could get the most money there, but he was just never able to get that salesman mentality. Right, that's so not like his he personality. He can get a couple type. sales. Yep. Yeah, definitely. He could get sales, but it's always just little sales here, little sales there, never really anything to make a fuss. So Moss thought he was the best guy to do it with because he really had nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's kind of the whole big twist in the movie is that 
we all think, at, at least for me, I thought George was going to do it with uh, Moss's character, but we didn't really know until the end. Mm-hmm. Turns out Shelley was the one who actually did it, and George just kind of did what he did, just stand there and do nothing. Right. And it, it, I think but, it comes back to um, a lot of the conversation about uh, like risk and reward, too. Like you would think that yeah. it would be Ma. I mean, you would think that it would be George, because mm-hmm. he had nothing to lose, and it was kind of a win-win mm-hmm. situation for him because um, they wouldn't have suspected him. But if he's not a risk taker, and you can tell by the way that he works and the way that his his sales are low, that he's not really, you know, he's not biting off a lot, and he's he's happy with a low risk appetite. And then you go back to to Levine. And you know he's just chomping at the bit. He's he's doing these these huge power plays to try and get an edge, and so it does kind of make sense when you think about it at the end of the day that he would take that chance. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But he also had so much more to lose, you know, if his mm-hmm. if his daughter's really sick or injured, right? Yeah, I mean it, that that that's always it. If there's something real to that person that they're about to lose, mm-hmm. they're gonna do some real things to try and get out of it. Which you saw really what happened. Uh, let's let's start with uh, Ricky Roma, Mister Al Pacino, Mister Always Be Closing. <laughs> he he's one of those guys that never turns off, but he's gonna hit you with every single line in the book. He's a talker, he's a schmoozer, but he does it in kind of a high class way to kind of tr- make you trust him a little bit more. Right. He, he honestly preys on the relatability of himself. He, he's honestly the type of person that's willing to lie, cheat, and steal just to get his way to the top. The, the morning after the robbery, you see him coming to the office, and he's just like, I want my car. I want my fucking car. <laughs> I, I, I sold it. It went to the bank. <laughs> but then, yeah, it didn't happen. Right. And then, Turned out that uh, that the guy who he actually did the sale with, Mr. Uh, I think it was James Link, yeah, who's played by Jonathan Price, the High Sparrow from Game of Thrones. Mm. But it, his way of getting him to make the sale was to get him drunk, feed him, just say the relatable things to appeal to this guy's sob story and make the sale. Mm-hmm. And you you could tell that the type of person that James Link was, he wasn't someone that. Is known for making the decisions because he was married. You could definitely tell his wife wore the pants. Right. Absolutely. Even in the 90s. Still pants. But she definitely kind of leaned into him and was like, hey, you need to cancel that. So you actually got to see the top salesman who's always trying to lie, cheat, and steal to get these sales have to backpedal and try to make up things as to why he should keep the sale. And that's where you see his desperation. Mm-hmm. Just trying to uphold his story, his lies, all of his deceits that he does to get his sales. So, it... I don't know. He, he He's just... I, I feel like he's the one that really hides his desperation well, but when it gets tested, he has real no ways to handle it besides get a little bit overwhelmed right yeah he's he's he is the con man at the end of the day like Mm -hmm. it's you know the way that he kind of spins a lie so quickly is is something that's you know kind of instinctual and in a pathological liar type of con man you know he sits down at that restaurant and he literally just is talking like the matthew mcconaughey sitting behind a lincoln steering wheel type of talk where he's Mm -hmm. literally just philosophizing about you know what a train compartment smells like like it is just a a rant and it, and it kind of just takes this guy by surprise right he's just trying to have a beer at a chinese restaurant but mm-hmm. you know al pacino sitting down talking the talk and then all of a sudden at the end of that he doesn't even know his name he says he says um my name is richard roma what's yours and this is at the absolute end of their conversation and you don't even know how long mm-hmm. they've been there but you know I think I, I forget exactly, but I think they had like four or five drinks, empty drinks in front of them. And oh, um, like that, yeah. yeah, and he goes, James, I'm glad to meet you. And then all of a sudden, he goes, By the way, I, have a, I had something I meant to I meant to show you. And he takes out the pamphlet for all of the, mm-hmm. of the land, 
Yep. And, you know, it's a long con and it's really impressive, honestly. I I do think that his, um, and it could be one of those things where, you know, he's been fed the best leads thus far. Mm -hmm. He's at the top of the list. His confidence is high and it, it could be something he's feeding off of that he's been doing this with random strangers at a bar and he's gotten this down pat, but it just seemed like he was spinning these lies as they, as they came up. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, I think in the long run, I think in the long run, his strategy is not, you know, going to get him very far, right? He had to really work on his feet when mm-hmm. Link came into the office and, um, you know, he's expecting to make the sale then and there and then never see that guy again so in the long run it's really not sustainable but um the desperation to spin those lies in in such a short amount of time is what is really impressive Mm -hmm. well that that's just kind of what he is he always just wanted to prove that he's the best right and even the people he's selling to he wants to show you like listen i'm gonna sell it to you even if you don't want me to sell it to you Mm -hmm. like he subtly says that Yeah, honestly, I I feel like in a lot of movies, Al Pacino plays a lot of the same characters. But I feel like this one where you actually got to see him have to actually handle a problem Mm -hmm. where he's not going to come out on top. It's really interesting to see how he took it that way. Right. Absolutely. He actually got the Oscar nom for Best Sporting Role. Yeah, I saw that for... Mm-hmm. And um, it's really cra- it's it's a shame that you can't nominate like the whole cast because mm-hmm. even just Alec Baldwin's ten minute rant, I mean, that's enough. Oh, for yeah. an, that's enough for me. You know, I I would it's, be totally fine with that. So it set the tone for the movie. Absolutely, and that's it's funny actually. That was not in the original play, that whole scene, which is really interesting. We can get into the casting details behind that of why that came out. Mm-hmm. But uh, Alec Baldwin was actually supposed to play Roma, and then Al Pacino came back at the last minute. So okay. they they still wanted Alec Baldwin to be in the movie, and so they the the original play right David Mamet mm-hmm. ended up writing that whole scene to add more stakes because he had always felt and it's a Pulitzer Prize winning play, but he had mm-hmm. always felt that there was something missing that raised the stakes in between yeah. some of those scenes. Because I actually started reading some of the play uh, online, okay. and I was like, "Where's Where's Blake's part?" Mm-hmm. So, well, since we're talking about him, Blake is played by Alec Baldwin. Blake was he was supposed to be the motivating upper management person, trying to like get his subordinates to sell more real estate. It, for me, he was real desperate on showing on people showing envy towards him. Mm-hmm. He always wanted to have the best suits. He's got the $80,000 Beamer, the Rolexes. He, he wants you to know that he is better than you in every way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. And that that was his mentality on getting people to work. It's like, hey, you can be this if you work. But in reality, he's just being a dick and a hard ass pretty much. Right. He was the one who pretty much said, hey, Salesforce, top man gets a car, bottom gets fired if you don't get above the quota mm-hmm. so at, at first he put that ultimatum in he went around to show how everyone was disposable placeable and just pretty much said hey bottom dollar or the bottom line is the amount or is the most important thing you guys we don't give a shit about you just sell shit right and i, th- I think he he grew up in an environment where he was fed great leads because mm-hmm. he kind of comes from you know Talking about the gold watch, talking about the Beamer, talk about what he made. You know, if you think about, you know, nature versus nurture, that was something he was probably fed for years from guys that were above him. You know, mm-hmm. thinking about, just still thinking about, this is a 1984 play, and you're thinking about these capitalists' ideals, and you, you, you just, you consider what the Matthew McConaughey character was to Leo DiCaprio and, and Wolf of Wall Street, talking about all mm-hmm. of these materialistic things. And so it, it doesn't seem like he, came up in an environment where he had to be scratching and clawing for good leads. Almost felt like yeah. he was spoon-fed. So it, it felt very um, hierarchical and, um, yeah, like you said, like an ultimatum in, in a way. 
but he really I don't think he had that much hands-on experience. So. Definitely, definitely hierarchical. Yeah, it's like I I feel like he probably acts like that because that's who his higher ups were when he was just a low guy. Definitely. Then once he joined the boys club, they're all buddy buddy with him, and now he has the right to actually act like that. Yep. So I feel like he's just one of those people that. If you go through a fraternity, you haze and haze and haze, and then you're, the next day you're a brother and you get to haze the new guys. Mm-hmm. It's just one of those cycles that happens, and he's just the one getting the new people through the cycle. I guarantee you if Roma got promoted, they'd be best of friends. Right. But that I, that's I just so the too. kind of guy he is. Because the sales force was real just alpha male centered back in like the 70s and 80s coke fueled Mm -hmm. everyone was high energy that's just how it was absolutely yeah it's it's interesting too that scene um just how oh man it really it's just he he looks into the eyes of some of those guys like Mm -hmm. you know an up-and-coming actor like well he, he had beetlejuice and he had hunt for red october he had a couple things um, that were big prior to to that. That was ninety two, but you know he still looked younger than he, you know, obviously is now. But you mm-hmm. know, I think a lot of us in our generation know him has um, what he has been in like the Mission Impossible movies and uh, Thirty Rock. But and I, I feel like all we know now is Rust. Yes, yes, we'll, we can get to that later. But um, what I, uh, it it's a lot from his. From for his acting chops for just a ten minute mm-hmm. scene to have him look down like someone like Jack Lemmon, uh, and mm-hmm. Jack Lemmon is a literal legend in his eyes, so I think it's really it's really interesting that he could just kind of move into that role and really take that authority and just just absolutely hammer that scene. So yeah, if, like if you were offering him an, an Oscar for that, I would absolutely go. I would mm-hmm. support that all the way. Yeah, it's almost like a passing of the torch in a sense. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I, I also feel like what made that beginning scene so just important to the movie, honestly, was that it set the tone for the movie. Mm-hmm. It set that high energy, that anxiety, that tension. It put it there. Yeah. And then also with the setting being just completely shitty weather with rain and everything, I, that just adds on to it. Just like, damn, it really needs to get done. Yeah, I had some notes about that because... Um... You know, whenever you think of Chicago, they're supposed to be in Chicago. Um, mm-hmm. Whenever you think of Chicago, I think of wind and snow rather than rain. So I was thinking maybe that was more like Seattle or somewhere in the Northeast, like a, uh, like maybe like a Providence or a, um, like uh, Jersey City. Like it's not, it didn't feel big enough for New York City or Chicago yeah, personally because. It just felt a little smaller, but maybe that's just because they were only in two locations, really. Like, mm-hmm. well, maybe three: the car, the diner, and the office itself. And then, you know, here, here and there, one-offs: the restaurant, the houses, and stuff. Phone booths. Yeah. yeah, but it felt smaller than a bigger city. And you know, they kept talking about, "Oh, we'll be in Arizona for a couple hours. Oh, I'll be in Florida for a couple hours." I, I could have believed that it was anywhere with a, with a uh, temperate climate like that. Oh yeah, definitely. So, so maybe they did that on purpose to try and. Um, really, um, simplify kind of, or not necessarily simplify, 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 but bring it down to to a, the lowest standard. You know, I I know mm-hmm. that you know, living in some of these higher class cities, you know, there could be a big divide between the low and the and the higher class, mm-hmm. and then, but it just felt like it was bringing it as as far down as possible, even even further than that. And so, yeah. Um, yeah, I think they did a good job. And I also read that the most of the the most um, all encompassing part of the budget for the movie was the rain effects, which is pretty crazy oh, with all it. with all those big names. So, I, f- I feel like it almost gave it kind of like that noir effect, mm-hmm. like it kind of just set that dark and dreary mood. Like, oh shit, something's about to happen. What's gonna happen? Right. Right. And then if you notice the next day. Sun's up, sun's shining. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then it's like, the mood switches. Right. It's a, so it's a new like... day, but it's at the same. It, it's a new day, but a lot of a lot of them didn't learn anything. I think. Mm-hmm. I think you know that if they hadn't gotten if Levine hadn't gotten caught, he would have continued with his ways. 
You know, oh, yeah. if David Moss didn't tell everybody to fuck off and leave, he probably would have been doing the same thing. But I I do agree with the writer. I think that adding the the Alec Baldwin scene in there really ups the stakes. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, it, it sucks not to have any, you know, if you, you couldn't pay your mortgage for a month or you couldn't eat for a few days because you didn't hit your bonus. But I can only imagine in this in that market, if they're if they think they want to be salesmen going forward and they knew they were going to get fired if they weren't going to hit, that mm-hmm. is just just bone chilling amount of anxiety coming through. Like you're oh yeah, just you know for a fact if you get fired, you're not going to be able to eat. It's just crazy. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a good thing that a lot of those jobs are almost illegal now. So yeah, I mean, there's you know there's there's levels of multi level marketing schemes that I think you know, pr- promote this type of deception of the customer. And even some big companies are just, you know, they're not going to provide basic information that a customer would want to see, like ingredients mm-hmm. to a drug or raising rates after a specific promotional period, you know, stuff like that, where it's not necessarily illegal, but it's completely unethical, immoral. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, so, damn, he's a dick. Yeah, you know, like, it's it's... It's it's a at the end of the day it's it's tough we, we know like it's from a business perspective, um, the the more inside information that you can have to kind of keep everything flowing through you, you know mm-hmm. that that it that creates more importance for what your specific firm or your specific business is doing, but you know at the end of the day it's not moral it's not the kind of the best way to do business. Yep, I I, I feel like times right especially now though you're gonna start seeing a lot more of that shady shit happening yeah yep you know it's easy it's easy nowadays to con people you know there's mm-hmm. there's also just a there's a network of 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 um you know things that have a lot of traction behind them but at the end of the day they're really fugazi right like there's a lot of hype around fts and crypto I, I was literally just about to say that, <laughs> you know, but it's, there's nothing necessarily really backing it. Right. Like it's mm-hmm. just, you know, with Bitcoin and Ethereum, there's, there's real world implications for it, but then you have, you know, all these other cryptos as well as, as NFTs yeah. that are just not all coins. Yeah. A lot of altcoins, Right. Like it's just, there's a lot of areas where you could scheme and, uh, it, it's all based in Fugazi. That's what I say. Wait, so are you saying Dogecoin's not going to the moon? Dude, Shiba Inu all the way. <laughs> Not gonna lie, I do hold some Shiva Inu. Yeah, I got I got a couple million shares. I love it. So do I. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had a good day today. Yeah, it it was up like thirty percent today. I love it's it. It's pretty nice. <laughs> See, all right, all right. Did you look at the Coinbase chart? Which one? Just uh, overall. I, I I I've been looking at the year one. Mm-hmm. If you look at the year chart for the Shiba Inu, literally spikes, goes back down, levels out. Then mm-hmm. a big spike again, but like this is on like a, like a three four x spike. So yeah, hopefully, I don't know. hopefully, uh, you know, I, it's a long haul. You know, if I lose a couple hundred bucks on it in twenty years, I'm not gonna be crying. But if I yeah. make a couple grand in a couple years, I'll be cheering. See, I'm I'm just happy the the extent of the money that I put into crypto is the twenty five dollars I put in my freshman year of college. Nice, look at that. <laughs> I know. So I, I I've grown that shit. So I I think my max return I've got was like a hundred and twenty times back. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So it's like can't can't really beat it. Yeah. Yep. I mean it's it's like you said, it's it's easy for someone to ski in these days and you know, there's there's different there's modernized ways to, to do kind of what they were doing in the movie. But um mm-hmm. I think that, you know, overall, if I were to, and I'll, I'll get your opinion on this, if I were to rate their sales technique, I also think Williamson, because he, he mentioned that he was selling in the past, but I think he was also from the Alec Baldwin or um, Blake type of background where he was, oh, he, yeah. he was fed the best stuff. You know, so you, you could tell that he just struggled to get anyone to respect it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, he he bent over backwards for everyone, and they just took advantage of him. He tried to back the sales guys; that didn't work. So then, when Blake came in, he just tried to back Blake. Oh well, it's gotta happen. Blah blah blah. Yep. But that that's just who he was. He just listened and took everything. Yeah. I, but I if mean, you notice, 
he was like the only one that actually came out kind of positive in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he did. He kind of did win um, at the end of the day because um, the, the worst thing that he did, I mean, it's not even that big a deal. Like, he gave Levine two leads, right? But at the end of the day, what did they turn out to be? Yeah, the, the crazy shit. person. Yeah. So, I mean, unethical there, but, you know... He's he's trying to he, he stayed home with his kids that night instead of going to the bank, you know he he did it he did his he tried to rekindle his relationship with his kids I'm sure it's probably in the toilet, um and you know for Kevin Spacey's sake maybe he should be staying at the office more but um, well I, I was gonna say maybe maybe it was almost a trap yeah <laughs> it's like damn I know these shysty mofo's are gonna want to come in here and grab these. Yeah. Well, let's do a little sting. That could I be. Mean, nowadays, there'll be like ring doorbell cameras on every door in there, and cameras to the T. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you notice, you know, no computers, right? Nope. Total, total throwback in there. Um, so probably a very, very limited uh, alarm system, right? It's kind of like a oh, barely well, anything. Yeah. Probably. I, I don't think they would have anything. They broke. I, I remember seeing it. They broke through the front door. Like, yeah. they just busted out the glass. Yeah, there wasn't really anything of value in there for the average burglar. But, no. you know, for Levine's sake. I also think, and maybe I'm wrong, that they got way too little for those. Way too little. 2500 each, and that's, would they say 500 Well, no, I think, um, I think Moss got, like, st- Six grand, because I remember he said a number, but then he was like, "What I'm getting is it doesn't matter." Mm-hmm. He definitely got more. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he maybe got like five or six grand off of it. But yeah, it's still in the grand scheme of things. Like, if they were good leads and they sold, like, say forty five, fifty percent of them, I mean the commissions alone. Oh like, yeah, you know four or five five thousand bucks. To risk your career with, I mean, if you if you're, who knows the other the other, um, the other firm could be just as shady and they wouldn't care that they're mm-hmm. you know unethical like that and it's such a dog eat dog world in that in that sense that there wouldn't really be a problem, but in these days like if you committed a crime at at Starbucks and then you wanted to go work at Dunkin', you know, they would probably see that as unethical and probably would consider it in your application. So it's mm-hmm. like, would you really want to risk uh, your whole career, it, as shitty as it may be, for 5000 bucks? No, probably not. Yeah. Well, honestly, I could see some kid on TikTok going into Starbucks and just covering themselves in, like, Dunkin' Creamer and screaming, Dunkin's better. <laughs> like, that. that's a very real thing now. Yeah. And honestly, that person would probably be sponsored. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> but hey. That's what um, the days are. I also love the scene after after Williamson comes in and, and tells Link that the, the check got cashed. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Al Pacino goes off on his rant. Where'd you learn your trade, you cocksucker? Mm-hmm. And then everybody leaves. And Williamson's just standing there looking like a piece of shit. And in the background, Levine goes, you are a shithead, Le- uh, yep. Williamson. <laughs> But see, hey, he took it, and then he was able to get something. Where, how, how did you know the contract was on? Yeah, he kept the level. He kept the level head. Mm-hmm. If anything, that's what he did the best. I mean, other than well, George kind of freaked out after he got interviewed by the cop, but he was pretty calm the rest most of the movie. That's, yeah, that's just his demeanor too. But, um, yeah, I I, I think if you. You know, if you think about his management technique, Williamson's management technique, you know, it, it's really kind of just hiding in the shadow of Blake's where, oh, you know, yeah. you have someone from big corporate come in and, and take a giant dump all over your sales crew. And then you support mm-hmm. that, that process and that method by saying, this is what they want and I can't make exceptions. So it's really, it, it's not empowering. It's not enabling. It's just, you know, continuing that thought. So I, I think it's a bad management style and they didn't respect him at all. Oh, no, not at all. Especially guys with that type of mentality, like, hey, you, you got to help us. If, if we're going to do this, you got to help us. And he's just standing there, 
hands crossed. He's not going to do shit. Right. He's not going to be an effective leader to a bunch of salespeople. Absolutely. He needs to be just as outgoing as them. He needs to be just as motivating. Indeed. And if he's just standing there, bending over in front of Alec Baldwin, <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> that's ironic. Yeah. But, I mean, he, he just took it and just was almost like a little message boy. The um, the Kevin Spacey 1990s are really indestructible. I will mm-hmm. say. All right, so he's got he starts off in. Mm, well, if you ever seen "See No Evil, Hear No Evil," no, it's with Gene Wilder and uh, Richard Pryor. They t- ah, they t- it's Gene amazing. Wilder. They team up, and um, Gene Wilder is blind, and and Richard Pryor is deaf. <laughs> Oh god! And uh, it's really great. It really is hilarious. So he starts off with that in '89, and then he goes into, and just in terms of ones that I think that are great, uh, Glengarry Glen Ross, 1992. Then he goes Usual Suspects, '95, Seven, and '95, L.A. Confidential, '97, mm-hmm. American Beauty, '99. Just an absolute stacked cast. Or stacked a couple of years there. Dude. Really ran Hollywood in the in the nineties. So yeah, that that really gave him pedigree. Yeah, but his pedigree was his downfall. Well, I will say he, um, according to IMDb, he's got three movies in the works. Wow. So, yeah. I mean, better hope there's no kids in them. <laughs> I know. Or unless they're probably filmed in like Eastern Europe or something. It's a shame because I love I love House of Cards, I really mm, did. I, I never got into that show, but I'm looking for like new shows to watch. I'm I'm in the process of like finishing series that I just haven't finished. Mm-hmm. So did I, you watch? I actually just have you watched The Boys on Amazon? No, oh, love that. I just got done uh, Agents of Shield. Okay, just finished all that. It's so The Boys is like rated R Justice League. Like, uh, yeah, I heard about it. It's awesome. It's amazing. Seth Rogen is like the producer of it. Okay. It's great. So anything he touches turns to gold. He just did the Pam mm-hmm. and Tommy thing. So, yeah. Well, did, uh, did you see Peacemaker? Or no, I gotta get into that. I gotta get into yeah. that. I, I, I like that there's like these almost mock superheroes come now. now. Yeah. I love it. I think it's awesome. Cause like, you know, it's, it's like a. It's like a satire in in response to the Marvel, um, Goody Two Shoes mm-hmm. type of world, but um, but uh, anyway, back to this movie. So yeah, I just had a couple. Say, don't get us started. On <laughs> yeah, we can do a whole thing on that. Um, so I think I so for best monologue, what do you what do you think? I, I, I mean, it, it's got to be uh, Alec Baldwin's in the beginning. Yeah, I mean. I would nominate that as number one. Um, number two, Pacino cursing out um, Williamson. Mm-hmm. That's that's up there, and then you know just like the whole. I I think Shelley Levine, man, he's just he's yeah, just it. listening to him talk. Yeah, I mean he's got he's got this old you know he's you know Jack Lemmon's obviously the older one. He's been an actor for a long time. Um, just he's got this the the fluidness of his of his speech and just it feels like it's a very um, like sixties or seventies movie and that he's just kind of mm-hmm. doing his thing and uh, it's it's like an it's like a gymnastics event you just to see him with such precision. Yep. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, I think the Alec Baldwin thing is untouchable. It's un- mm-hmm. it's unbelievable. Comes in see, and takes over. He he literally like I didn't know that he was only in the movie for ten minutes, but mm-hmm. I'm fine with it. I'm fine. Oh yeah, that's all he needed. Yeah, it's it's crazy. So he he actually like... was supposed to be Richard Roma. He got cast for it, and then yeah, you were saying that. And then Pacino came back, and the uh, the director was like, "This is your role. This is your part. You can play this guy." And it was perfect. Yeah. So I feel like I my favorite uh, Pacino monologue in this one was um not well obviously when he was cursing out Williamson, but when he was trying to sell Link in the restaurant when they were just sitting at the table. Oh yeah, and he was just going on. But it was like he was going into one subject, then kind of finding a way to tie it to another subject, then to another one, then to another one, mm-hmm. until they're just drinking and just talking about nonsense. But then he brings it back to the sale. Yep, 
it's fantastic. Like, yeah, damn. it's the spinning the web of lies and just mm-hmm. kind of keeping that customer dazed. And all just of a sudden, getting you drawn in. Yeah. Yep. No, he just slams that hammer down. So, mm-hmm. all right, best monologue. We're going to Alec, Alec Baldwin. Good, oh yeah, definitely killing it. Hands down. Best insult. Whew. I think I think it's got to be Roma to, to Williamson. Oh yeah. You know, um, although I do love you are a shithead. <laughs> Just you so. are a shithead. <laughs> you are a shithead, Williamson. Um, no, it's it's gotta be. I mean, where did you, where did you learn your trade, you cocksucker? Mm-hmm. Motherfucker. Um, yeah, and then see when he starts dropping cunt too, you know he's serious. Yeah, he's serious. And this is all in the script. It was word for word. Mm-hmm. Word for word. And I, I think that's just a, a testament to David Meme's, um, you know, his writing style, his attention to detail, mm-hmm. his his conciseness. Um, and and yet, I, I don't think anyone would be able to give it that fire that Pacino can give it, too. Right. Like... When he's yelling at you and berating you and just tearing you down, mm-hmm. you listen. Yeah, absolutely. Have you ever seen Heat? No. Oh, that'd be a good one to do. He's he goes off on his rants on that one too. That's mm-hmm. that was quite impressive. So, I also like um, this the part where Alec Baldwin says "fuck you." That's my name. So that's oh, that's yeah. a pretty good little little uh, little insult right there. Mm-hmm. Just shows you what he uh, what he thinks of his lower mm-hmm. lower subordinates, and then William said Williamson says because uh, I don't like you, you know it's just like that nail in the coffin for like oh why are you doing this to me because I don't fucking like mm-hmm. you dude because you're because you got a big mouth and uh, you need to shut the fuck up so all right Ricky Romlet is uh, best sales tactic I think you could I think I want to divide this into short term and long term. Yeah, I think long term that George probably would makes out makes out because he's he's got that level of compassionate compassion. Oh yeah, you know he, he's definitely a real guy. He, yeah, he, he doesn't want to purposely fuck anyone over. But I also he, think he, he would benefit from money. selling something that he would believe in. You know what I mean? Yeah, selling a regular house that is is has a has a reasonable value rather than selling overinflated property. See, I feel like he'd be more the the rainbow kind of salesman Mm -hmm. just go around selling vacuums yeah absolutely um but yeah i think that's in the long term he 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 works out and then um you know short term we didn't really see david moss sell or anything but yeah unfortunately but um you know i think ricky roma in the short term as long as he can get the check to the bank and not have to see the guy the next day and have them Mm -hmm. come to reality when their wife tells them to get their fucking money back yeah. Um, then he wins in the in the short term. So he's a smooth talker. Yeah, the gift to gab. Yep. Yep. So okay. And then all right. So I think this is an interesting thought. How how would you make it today? And that includes who you would cast, um, the props would be different, you know, what would it look like if you made it today? Well, I I honestly feel like this this would just be probably a basement just with like six different computers kids sitting in there pretending to be financial experts Mm -hmm. giving uh crypto advice yeah yeah like the you know maybe the maybe the main guy that that believed in the GameStop and the amc um flip is the guy talking and he's got like his his group of virtual salespeople. yeah the, (laughs) the reddit winner who's like everyone get all these options for GameStop. yep yeah, he he's the head nerd in the Discord chat. Who would you um, who would you cast him as? Uh, Blake. Hmm. I don't know. I, maybe like a Jamie Fox type. Okay. Like a motherfucker Jones type. You know? Yeah, I could totally see that. I'm thinking. Um, honestly, oh man, this is 
don't know. I'm not exactly sure. I, I think maybe maybe like a Bradley Cooper um from like a Bradley Cooper from Wedding Crashers type of vibe, like a Sack Lodge. Oh, uh, okay. You know what I'm thinking? Mm-hmm. Spoon fed, just telling people what to do. Yep, straight up white bread. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I and, can see that. And then for, for um, so I would probably do. So they have to be people younger than Bradley Cooper. So he, if he was like in his, if he's in his fifty forties or fifties now, the salespeople would have to be probably maybe similar to his age, maybe a little younger, but. Um, oh yeah, definitely younger. Definitely younger. Yeah. Obviously, Timothy Chalamet may probably be in there. I think he he may he may even be like the George type of character, kind of meek. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and then um, I um hmm I kind of want Stephen Root as the uh, as uh, Levine. You know Stephen okay. Root. You know the guy. He's a uh, Dude, he's uh, Melvin from Office Space. Oh yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. A little on the older side, kind of. You know, he's he's just kind of a little wimpy looking, but like you know, he's got some some fire in him. He could probably really get it out there. Um, real desperate, totally desperate. See, okay, I think I could see Shelley being more like a Patton Oswald. Ooh, that's a good one too. Just like that. That older dude that still doesn't want to get out of touch with reality. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I feel like he could play that just level of wanting to be young. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. I like that. Hmm. Ed Harris. Or uh, David Moss. Who would Moss be? Kind of, It's got to kind of be like a scumbag kind of guy that really wants yeah. like... He wants it all, but he hasn't earned it really, and he's just like not that talented. So he's kind of goes out to the, kind of sells himself short. Mm. I kind of like Steve's on for that. Okay. Yeah, I like that one. I kind of like Steve's on. He kind of, he kind of gives off the vibe where he could, could kind of sell himself out. Mm-hmm. Sell other people out too. Um, and he's probably right, to, right around there. It's the right age. What about Williamson? Maybe Adam Driver. I could see that. I, I was thinking maybe Jonah Hill. I feel like Jonah Hill needs to be in the movie. Ooh. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Maybe he's a Ricky Roma. Smooth talker. <laughs> Who was I just thinking of for fucking Ricky Romo? Um, Leo DiCaprio. See, I'm, I'm trying to think of like, if it was a current movie, mm-hmm. I feel like this wouldn't be that big budget of a movie. So I'm not trying to go like top of the top guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I could see maybe like a Jared Leto type. Mm-hmm. Like someone who really wants to get into it. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. I honestly don't know how received a movie like this would be today. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, this movie was all monologue. I yeah. Like people today don't have that attention span. Definitely not. watch people talk. Definitely not. I, I mean, mean say, you, for example, you made it, you made it about, like, the GME... Squeeze, short squeeze. So you yeah. made it r- relatable for a lot of people that would be watching it. Um, but you, but yeah, I think the the, I think that the dialogue would probably lose a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I don't think they pay attention to that that level of it. No, you know, that they want they want to see explosions and gunfire mm-hmm. and probably a sex scene. Probably, probably. Uh, that's just movies nowadays. Yeah. I think I would do. Ooh, you know who? Do you watch Ozark? 
I've only seen the first season. Okay. I need to watch it. It's, I think, it's, it's one of my list to watch. I think Wyatt would be a good um, Moss. Okay. You know? Yeah. Just uh-huh. kind of like, he's got like, he's kind of known for having like a kind of a mischievous background. So he just kind of would go to that route. And then um, I think it would be interesting to see. I also wouldn't, would consider maybe casting a woman for one of the parts too. Like, uh, like a, maybe cast a woman as Link, you know? And so like you're trying, they were trying to deceive a woman about like crypto and, you know, maybe she went and did her research about it and came back and wanted her money back. Um, and for that role, I, I, I have no, I don't know where to start. I wouldn't know where to start. Honestly, I could see the Ricky Roma role being female. That too. I could see that. Maybe like a little bit of, uh, um, oh man, maybe like a little bit of, um, I feel like maybe like know. a younger Tina Fey. Yeah, I could see that. Or, well, I mean, I've just been watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but uh, Chloe Bennett, mm-hmm. she's that. like that level of nerdiness but still kind of attractive to where it would attract people to watch it maybe like Ana de Armas or something oh maybe that could be but uh, alright so that's yeah that's, it's interesting to think about like I, I would I would definitely go crypto route and I would probably you know I would like to use the same type of as close to the play script as possible because it's just so well written oh yeah definitely but um yeah, I think it would be interesting to see. I just, you're right. I, I, I do think that the attention spans would be low. So you'd have to Could really you imagine, like, a modern Blake just be like, I got four NFTs. I got the Balenciagas that look like socks, bro. I, I have a Tesla. <laughs> you're the dirt on my tires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. Oh, man. It would honestly be pre- probably pretty cringy. Hearing someone just go off on a group of day traders mm-hmm. sitting in a basement. That would be awesome. Like, who's King Virgin? <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think it's I think it could have been nominated for. I honestly think Pacino should have won. Um, oh yeah. But uh, you know, I don't believe I don't really believe in the Oscars anymore. At the time, in these years, yeah, I could see it. Like, it was a big reward, but nowadays it's... It kind of feels like it's too too political now. So. Well, see, I, f- I feel like that's just a whole perspective thing. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you the politics have not changed. Yeah. It's just because all, changed, everything's maybe. more public. Yeah. Well, you can get all this news. Oh, there's not a single black director. Right. Like, th- there was definitely not black directors in the 70s and 80s. Right, it's it's a it's a it's like a it's just like a culture shift, you know. Yeah. I, I also think like the comedy movies of, of recent years have been, you know, too scrutinized too. So it's like you know you can't even do like a movie like old school or. Could you uh, imagine if they did Blazing Saddles? Oh, that was yeah, forty eight years ago today, right? Yeah. Forty eight years. Yeah. Yeah, when you were 76. talking Gene Wilder, I was like, he rode a blazing saddle. I know. Whenever they, whenever I see that trending on Twitter, I'm nervous because like, I don't want it to get canceled because it's such it, a classic, you know. I don't feel like, I, honestly, I don't feel like any Mel Brooks movies could get canceled. Yeah, because they're making, he's making fun of everybody. It's not just mm-hmm. like, he's not being racist. He's not being, um, you know, anti-Semitic in any way. He's obviously, obviously he's Jewish, and he's just trying to make fun of everybody. So it's like we'll go to Spaceballs, the end credit, Jews in space. Yeah, <laughs> it's like. He definitely couldn't make those movies nowadays. Right. But Absolutely. back in those times, they they were they were quality. Indeed. I mean, Indeed. there's there's still quality now if you're into smut like that. Yeah, yeah. And it's just those classics. But um, Mel Brooks is he's the goat. He's still alive, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, he looks like shit, but he's still alive. Oh my God, he's up there. He looks like a fucking raisin with white hair on him. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure he gets, uh, like, 
tanning salon shit done. Mm-hmm. So he really looks like a raisin. California yeah. sun dried. Yeah, that's no good. That's no good. But, but right, hey, cool. he's he's probably close to ninety. He he's got millions mm-hmm. upon millions. He's probably banging a thirty year old. He's yeah, living. That's true. He's probably living it up wherever he's at. Mm-hmm. What do you think you want to do uh, for our next episode, sir? Or should we leave it to the viewers? Well, we don't have any viewers right now, but well, someday. <laughs> someday. I mean, hey, those of you out there on the interwebs listening to this show, let us know what you want to hear. We got stories. We got opinions. We got facts. We got theories. Anything you want, we can deliver. Yeah, we got I mean, analysis. Do you want to? Do you want to do like? Want to get into a series? I know you're. I mean, I, I'm into that. We could definitely take a, like mean, a movie or a, like a show, or a yeah, you know, like a series of like articles or you know. Anything so, else. what I've been doing actually right now, I, I'm really big on Audible. Mm-hmm. Um. I, I've been going through a bunch of book series. Like right now, I'm on uh, book three of Game of Thrones. Or not Game of Thrones. I already got went through Game of Thrones. Uh, book three of The Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to get through the books first, then I was going to watch the movies. Oh, so that's like what I'm doing myself with the or, uh, series. Interesting. Yeah, I would love to do Lord of the Rings. I love Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I, I've i never seen the movies, played any video games. Oh, boy. So I was like, I, I started with The Hobbit, got The Hobbit in first. And then I've yeah, never seen no. any of the Hobbits, so that would be fresh. I, I don't know what like the order. I know the Hobbits are prequels, right? I I heard the only Hobbit to watch is like the first one. Oh, okay. Like I've only done the books. I haven't watched any of the movies yet. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I would but definitely I mean, do that. How long do you think that would take you? Probably like a couple more weeks, months. What for the books? Yeah. I'll be done the final book by Friday. Oh really? Oh. Yeah. Interesting. I have an, like an hour and ten minute drive to work every day, so oh, that's true. I pump through books. Okay. So, uh, the the next ones I have up, I'm starting this one series called the King Killer Chronicles. Mm-hmm. That one's kind of like a, from what I've heard, a darker Harry Potter. Interesting. So I'm gonna start that, and then the Wheel of Time. Mm-hmm. That's an Amazon show. Yeah, Amazon just started putting out a show. There's fucking, I think. 14 or 16 books what and they're all thousands of pages or like a thousand pages yeah what? it's insane never even heard of that as a that's crazy yeah and wow. one thing that uh so i mean you know this but all, all the people out there as well I'm, I'm a very big game of thrones fan uh george R. R. martin took a lot of inspiration from the wheel of time interesting like um that there's characters in the books that I mean not in the shows but that are in the books that are like the Wheel of Time's author's name spelled backwards his last name everywhere worlds from there pop in Game of Thrones world in Westeros what? it's really interesting interesting yeah I'd love to talk about Game of Thrones and uh, <sighs> how disappointed I am with the final I'm I'm just I'm waiting for the books I've I'm, I'm done all the books yep I really want to see if his final book actually changes things for the better. Or Well, there's two books still coming out. Oh, my God. It's going to take a while. This one that was supposed to come out, I think, in 2015, like 2016. And then there's a final one. Yeah, we'll see. I, I, I'm, I'm still not over it to this day. See, the book's amazing. Books make so much sense. Like, there's another Targaryen... Catelyn Stark doesn't. Well, she dies, but she comes back. Mm-hmm. It's like that. There's not as many plot holes as there was in the show. Okay. Yeah, I mean there wasn't plot holes in the first five seasons. Well, no, four and a half. Five, L- eh, five. Literally, season one is spot on to the book. They like condense a couple characters, but it's literally spot on. Yeah, I read a little bit of the first one. I didn't get through it. I'm actually reading mm-hmm. um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood right now. Quentin Tarantino's nice. book. It's fantastic. So. See, that's why I like uh, Audible, because I drive so much. Yeah, that's true. I, I'm not a big reader, but I've, I've really learned that I love literature, mm-hmm. just not reading. So Audible, you know, Audible, if you're out there, you can uh, 
you, you, you can sponsor us. We, we would appreciate that. <laughs> but anyways, um, yeah, I, I, Audible's really helped me absorb a lot of books. Like I've, I've done also the entire Harry Potter series a couple times. Yeah, I read that a couple times. I love it. I love it. If you want to go into Harry Potter, we could do Harry Potter. Oh, I, we we probably should. Let's start See, with I, let's start with the Lord of the Rings though, because if you're gonna finish Friday, we could do one next week. And yeah, uh, I, I can. We can watch like the first movie. And yeah, do the first movie. Would you start with The Hobbit? Probably. I don't really think it matters. Okay. At, at least from the book wise, The Hobbit was kind of there just to like set up Middle Earth. Okay. Well, if you. If you get through that, just you just fill me in if I'm missing anything, because I only know what happens in one, two, and three. So if there's anything oh, important yeah. that like really happens, I mean, you kind of pick up where you, in the first one you pick up just like first meeting Frodo. He's just hanging yeah. out. There's nothing much more to it. So yeah, the Hobbit's all based off Bilbo. Okay. Interesting. Cool beans. Yeah, man. All right, we'll do. We'll do the first one. Sometime next week, we'll rip, 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 rip it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, sh- I should be be done the the final Lord of the Rings book by Friday. So, yeah, do to watch the movies. Sounds good. Well, uh, listeners, th- thank you for tuning in on the first episode here. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and uh, Ho- hopefully, you come back. Yeah, absolutely. Peace yeah, we're, out. We're definitely. Well, I was gonna say we're definitely trying to make this more of a regular thing. So. Yeah. That definitely interact with us. I mean, I, I don't have any socials, but leave comments. We'll interact with you there. Yeah. Because yeah. we, we definitely want your your feedback. We want to know what you guys want, first and foremost. Yeah, and tell us if you even liked it, you know? Yeah, true. <laughs> what we can improve on. We take con- or constructive criticism very well. Yeah. Just don't be mean. Yes. The internet is a great place for connecting people. Don't yeah. be a dick. Don't don't make me go to my safe space. As Levine would say, don't be a shithead. <laughs> <laughs> you are a real shithead, Williamson. You are a shithead, Williamson. That's great. Uh, well, in my opinion, good first pod. Indeed. Indeed. Wait, did we even introduce ourselves? 